Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. J. Pierce for creating and performing our music. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Thorn and Cross, Haunted Nights Live. We're your hosts, Alistair Cross, and I'm here with my co-host and collaborator, Tamara Thorne. How are you today, Tamara? I'm fine, Alistair, because we finished another episode of Raving Crest. I'm proud we of us. We did. Are you proud of us? Me too. We did. I am, yes. We did. It's full All of right. sex uh, and th- violins. Uh, violin. It is violin. <laughs> it's true. It mm-hmm. is actually. Yeah, there was a lot of music in this one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Um, we're excited about tonight's guest. But before we introduce him, I'm going to turn it back over to Tamara, and she'll tell you actually a little bit more about what we're talking about as far as Ravencrest. So take it mm-hmm. away, Tamara. All right. We're talking about our third book in the Ravencrest saga, and in a remote part of California, Ravencrest Manor. In- Stone by Stone from Dark and unnatural powers and drawing those at once as its own. In Desecration, it has a title now. Book three of the Ravencrest Saga Exorcism. Something evil is stirring in the deep dark waters of the estate's indoor pool as ghostly jazz age parties fill the air with phantom music. Within the mansion, a maid is visited nightly by a demon lover. And governess Belinda Moreland is haunted by the tormented spirit of Violet LeBlanc, a silent movie star who was driven mad in her prime and wants Belinda to help her in her search for justice. The Ravencrest Saga series is first released in serialized installments. The first two episodes, Begotten and Incubus, are available now on Amazon. The third, Desecration, uh, is coming very soon to an e-reader near you, probably next week. Right, Alistair? I think so. All right, yeah, it should be next week. Um, and very quickly, also, uh, you can learn more about what we do at our websites, alistaircross.com and tamarthorn.com. You can visit our mutual blog at thornandcross.wordpress.com, or if you tweet, you can uh, find us at, at crossalister and at tamarthorn. You can also visit our 100 Nights Live page on Facebook. For more information on the show, you can visit Authors on the Air on Facebook, Twitter, and at authorsontheair.com. This is a broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. All right. That said, tonight's guest, uh, Harold Schechter, is an American true crime writer who specializes in serial killers. Uh, he attends the State University of New York. He attended the State of the State University of New York in <laughs> Buffalo, where his PhD director was Leslie Fielder. I'm sorry. He is professor of American literature and popular culture at Queens College of the City University of New York. Schechter is married to poet Kamiko Hahn, uh, and he has two daughters from a previous marriage, the writer Lauren Oliver and professor of philosophy Elizabeth Schechter. Welcome to the show, Harold. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine, thank you. Happy Good. to be wow. here. Um, Yes, yes, we're happy to have you. I'm going to apologize right up front Mm -hmm. uh, for the delay. There's a time lag, and it's really bad today, really bad. So I'm sorry if I plow over anybody 
or talk to over anybody. But uh, anyway, we are thrilled, of course, to have you back. Um, we always love having you. Um, there are so many things we could talk about um, and probably will. But uh, one one thing that I'm uh, particularly interested in is uh, recently you had uh, these Amazon singles. When we were uh, looking through mm-hmm. your uh, credits, we found this. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about those? Uh, well, um, they are. Uh, it's part of this actually new series called Amazon Original Stories, uh, and these are short. Um, selections. Each one is meant to be read in a couple of hours. Uh, So I did um, a series of six different stories, uh, each one um, focusing on a different, very sensational crime uh, going back to the 1860s and extending up to the 1960s. Um, the collection is called Bloodlands, uh, and then, as I say, there are six different uh, stories within it. I mean, they're nonfiction. It's not fictional stories. Each one is a nonfiction true crime narrative. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and the first one, uh, which is called, um, well, the first one is called The Pirate, and it's about a, a, a mass murderer named Albert Hicks. Uh, who slaughtered um, a shipload of people back in the 1860s. Uh, then I, the second one is called Little Slaughterhouse on the Prairie, about the infamous, <laughs> <love it. laughs> um, infamous uh, Bender family of Kansas. Uh, partly it's called that because um, uh, uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder, who wrote, the Little House on the Prairie series, um, well, she claimed uh, in a late-life memoir uh, that her family had known the Benders when they were out on the Kansas prairies. Um, there's oh, wow. some actual, yeah. I mean, there's, and she actually claimed that her father was part of the posse that tracked down the Benders after they absconded from their murder inn. Um, then I'm trying to remember all of them. Uh, there's one on uh, called Panic, which was about this uh, sex crime panic in the 1930s uh, that was partly fueled by J. Edgar Hoover um, when uh, uh, there, there were a number of very, very grisly uh, pedophiliac uh, murders uh, and the country was suddenly seized with this kind of hysteria uh, that there were all these, what they call degenerates on the loose. Um, Then there's one, then there's one called the brick slayer, which is about an African American uh, serial killer who actually served as the basis uh, for the character of bigger Thomas in Richard Wright's famous novel, native son, um, and then uh, there's one on um, Charles Schmidt, the so-called Pied Piper of Tucson, uh, who was a, a, a kind of early Charles Manson-like figure back in the 1960s um, who attracted this uh, group of teen acolytes uh, and 
and, and committed with their, you know, with their assistance, uh, a couple of very gruesome murders. So, yeah. So, and those are, those are available uh, just uh, on Kindle. So. Wow. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I want to talk about your latest book, Hell's Princess. Uh, that, that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's a fascinating story, but, um, but before before we get into that, I just I have a question. It's kind of a personal question. I I discovered you. Uh, I, I saw you on one of those true crime shows on Netflix somewhere. I don't remember. And I was struck by you're just so calm and pleasant. And you don't. I'm wondering about. Yeah. I'm wondering about the yeah. moment that you said to yourself, you know, I think. I'm 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 going to devote my life to writing about mass murderers and serial killers and rapists. And <laughs> yeah. How did this come to well, be? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a very yeah. interesting question. Um, I'm not sure there was a specific moment, um, and in fact, uh, in many ways, it's somewhat of a surprise to me uh, that I have ended up devoting my uh, you know a, a, a large chunk of my adult life. Um, to that particular pursuit, um, you know, my day job for over 40 years, uh, I actually just retired, um, was a, as a professor of American literature. Um, and, and of course, you know, a lot of the material that I taught, Edgar Allan Poe and Nathaniel Hawthorne, Herman Melville, you know, is very, very dark and gothic. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, I've always been, you know, my, my, my sensibility and my imagination, um, were shaped from childhood on, uh, by my exposure, uh, to all these horror movies and horror, you see horror comics and so on, you know, I'm a baby boomer and there, there was just all, you know, that was just all the pop culture that I was growing up with. So, you know, I've certainly always been fascinated by and interested in uh, horror as a genre. You know, and, and why we need horror people need horror stories. You know, and why we need stories about monsters. Uh, so, but the way I, I got into becoming a true crime writer uh, was—I I mean, I had been actually writing sort of supplementing my modest academic income um, by writing books on a variety of subjects. Uh, And at some point, I guess in the late 1980s, I'd actually been working on a book about movie special effects. Uh, And while researching that, you know, I came across the fact that uh, both Psycho and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which, you know, two of my all-time favorite horror movies, uh, had both been based on, you know, this actual case. Um, and I began to research that, and, and that became my first book, Deviant, about Ed Gein. Uh, and while I was, during my research into the Gein story, I was uh, corres- I corresponded with Robert Block, uh, who wrote the book oh, yeah. Psycho that the movie was based on. And one of the questions I asked Block was, you know, why were people so fascinated with Ed Gein? And he replied, because they've forgotten about Albert Fish. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that led me to start researching, you know, Albert Fish. Uh, and I wrote my second book, 
deranged about fish. Anyway, one thing led to another. Uh, and before I knew it, you know, I had become kind of a specialist um, in, in, you know, in, in American, you know, American psycho killers. Um, right. So, but yeah, so, but, you know, in a way it wasn't sort of a conscious decision. It was something that I a little bit, you know, stumbled upon. So, Right. Yeah, speaking of horror and all that, you've written at least one fiction novel, The Mask of Red Death. Actually, I've written six novels. Um, oh wow! I wrote. Uh, I wrote a. Uh, 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 actually, uh, I wrote a. What I think is quite a good horror novel under a pen name. Um, it's a book called Dying Breath, um, and it was written under a pen name. Uh, and then I wrote it. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, that was called Dying Breath. And then I wrote another book, um, also I think quite good, um, called Outcry, uh, which is a horror novel, the premise of which is that Ed Gein had an illegitimate son. Um, and, uh, oh, nice. But the novel that you refer to, then I wrote four uh, detective novels uh, featuring mm-hmm. Edgar Allan Poe as the protagonist. Um, wow. The Mask of Red Death was actually the second one. first one was called mm-hmm. Nevermore, and then there was The Mask of Red Death, and then one called the Telltale Corpse, uh, oh, and nice. uh, oh, and one called actually the second one was called Humbug, and in each each of the novels, Edgar Allan Poe kind of meets and teams up with some historical figure that he was contemporary with. So in Nevermore, it's about Edgar Allan Poe and Davy Crockett. Um, oh, nice. And <laughs> a hum- I need to read these. Yeah. They're so great. Yeah, they're, yeah. <laughs> they're quite good, actually. The Humbug is about Edgar Allan Poe and P.T. Barnum. Um, Ooh. The, yeah, the Telltale Corpse, The Mask of Red Death is about Edgar Allan Poe and Kit Carson. And then uh, the Telltale Corpse uh, was about Edgar Allan Poe and Louisa May Alcott. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah. You're hitting all oh, my favorites. This, yeah. yeah, I know, right? So. Is this is this yeah. idea for this like? Because you do, I would think that writing um, fact, because as a true crime writer, you have to be, you know, I'm sure very strict about your facts, yeah. and I'm sure that you hear yeah. about it when you make a mistake. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. So, did you do you find fiction to be a nice uh, reprieve from that? Um, well, you know, the fiction I wrote, the the Poe novels in particular. You know, also, I mean, they required, uh, you know, a lot of research, you know, because I tried to, you know, make them as accurate as possible. And they're also written Mm -hmm. in the first person. They're written in Poe's voice. So, you know, again, I mean, I've been, you know, steeped in 19th century American literature because, again, that's what I taught for 40 years. Um, Mm -hmm. But but it was actually – it was actually – you know, in a way more difficult to do those novels um, than to do my nonfiction writing, partly because, uh, you know, every day when I sat down to write, I would literally have to read, you know, uh, enough of Poe to get his voice running in my head. 
Um, right. So, you know, that, you know, that was very difficult. And um, so, yeah, I wouldn't say, you know, that it was a reprieve. Uh, in fact, I, I <laughs> you know, kind of gave up the series partly because it was, um, it was just very, it was really difficult to keep it going in a lot of ways. So. Yeah. Yeah. Now, your latest, your most recent release, uh, Hell's Princess, which is the mystery of Belle Gunness, Butcher of mm-hmm. Men. Uh, we talked a little bit about that the last time you were on, and um, I've since read it, and I love it. It's mm-hmm. fascinating. Yeah. But um, could you, could you, for the for the new listeners, tell us a little bit about Hell's Princess, the story behind it, and how that whole thing came to be for, well, for her and for you? <laughs> uh, well, Hell's Princess is about... Um, uh, Bell Gunness, this Norwegian immigrant um, who came over to the United States uh, in, I guess, 1881, something like that, uh, the tail end of the 19th century. Uh, she moved to Chicago. She moved in with an older sister uh, who had come here uh, some years earlier. Uh, and um, very little is known about Belle's childhood. You know, she was just a completely obscure Norwegian peasant, you know, from very, very sort of hard scrabble background. Uh, and she came mm-hmm. over here, um, uh, you know, in her own way, you know, her own very twisted way was pursuing the American dream. Um, she <laughs> married... <laughs> you know, married uh, a guy um, uh, who uh, she lived with for about uh, 10 years, I guess, in Chicago. Uh, his name was Mads Sorensen. He was a, a night watchman at one of Chicago's uh, department stores. Uh, and then he died uh, under very peculiar circumstances. Uh, he, at her urging had taken out a life insurance policy. Um, I can't remember the exact amount. It was something like $2,000. And then she persuaded him to take out a larger insurance policy, I think $3,000. Anyway, there was one day, one day in which both policies were in force. Uh, There was one day, the last day when the earlier life insurance policy was in in effect, uh, was also the first day that the new life insurance policy was in effect. They overlapped on one day. Uh, and uh-huh. uh, by an odd coincidence, um, Mads came home from work uh, feeling perfectly uh, healthy um, and then ate dinner and then died. Um, so <laughs> Bell, you know, ended up inheriting $5,000, which was a considerable sum back then. And she purchased a farm in the town of LaPorte, Indiana. Uh, and uh, then she uh, promptly got married uh, again, uh, persuaded her new husband to take out a large life insurance policy. And then he, about just months after their marriage, nine months or something, uh, he died uh, very mysteriously. Um, uh, he supposedly uh, had left his shoes to dry by the kitchen stove, and when he went to get them, he bent down and stood up and supposedly uh, knocked a, a large sausage grinder uh, 
uh, off the stove, which supposedly hit him on the head and killed him. Um, so she came in. Um, and then what Bell did was, you know, she's kind of been described as this early Craigslist killer. Uh, she started putting um, matrimonial ads in Scandinavian language newspapers throughout the Midwest and luring uh, lonely Norwegian bachelors uh, to her farmstead, um, instructing them all to bring their life savings with them. Uh, and, uh, you know, supposedly they were going to be coming and, you know, meeting meeting and marrying this wealthy Norwegian widow who would cook down-home Norwegian food for them. And, you know, she had this beautiful farm and, you know, they were going to bring their money and invest it in the operation. Uh, anyway, she lured a, a string of these poor guys uh, to her farm and murdered them and chopped up their bodies and buried them in her hog lot. Um, wow. At least a dozen. Um, so, wow. you know, wow. yeah. Anyway, the, the law was kind of closing in on her when her farmhouse burned mysteriously to the ground. Uh, and um, searchers discovered in the charred remains of the cellar um, the torso of a woman who they assumed was Belle uh, and her three children. The children, you know, were all burned, you know, incinerated. Uh, the woman was dead. Um, everybody assumed, you know, that it was Belle and her children. They had died in this fire. The house had just caught fire somehow. She had mm-hmm. gathered up her children, tried to save them, but they'd all died in the flames. The one uh, anomaly was that the, the woman's corpse had no head. Um, and no head was wow. ever found. Yeah. Uh, right. Anyway, then, you know, soon after that, they started digging up these bodies, you know, in her backyard uh, and realized, you know, that she was, well, they didn't call them serial killers back then, um, but, you know, they realized that she was this, you know, murder demon, as they would say, uh, you know, who had this, again, who had this murder farm. Um, and who had lured all these guys there and poisoned them and chopped them up and buried them. Uh, and, you know, the big question that remained, part of the reason my book is called The Mystery of Belgunis, is, uh, you know, there, there, there has always been some question as to whether the corpse of the woman that was found in the charred remains of the house was that of Bell because it, never, it didn't have a head. Oh. So they were never able to right. definitively prove it was Ooh. Belle or if it was some other woman that she lured to the farm and, and used as a decoy. So, mm-hmm. so that's the story in a nutshell. So, right. you know, so based on, your, based on your, in, your information and what you uh, learned about it, what, what is your yeah. deduction? Do you think it was her? Well, you know, I was kind of hoping because, you know, I do do a lot of research, um, you know, when I do these books. Uh, I was kind of hoping that I would be able definitively to solve the mystery, um, which mm-hmm. I was disappointed not to be able to. At one point, <laughs> I thought I had. Um, so I'm of two minds about it. 
but I, I, you know, I, after I write my books and publish my books, you know, I often hear from various readers uh, who have interesting things to say. And I did get a message from um, uh, a, a Los Angeles uh, police investigator who specializes in arson cases. Um, mm-hmm. And, and he, he sent me actually uh, quite an interesting analysis uh, based mostly on information from my book. You know, he, he seemed convinced that the fact she had died in the fire. Um, oh. On the other hand, you know, there are many people I know who are equally convinced uh, that she got away with the crime. There was a woman in 1930 um, in Los Angeles named Esther Carlson who uh, poisoned some some people, uh, uh, you know, poisoned a husband. She was a housekeeper for a guy, and he died of poisoning. And there were many, many people convinced that she was Belgonis. Um, uh-huh. But, again, so, you know, some questions have been raised about that. So it still remains an open question. So. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. It is, it is. So so what is it that uh, made you, I mean, how do you, there's so many uh, to choose from. There's so much going yeah. on, and, and, and even going through your, your, your catalog of books. In fact, I'd yeah. love to have you back just to just to focus on yes. certain killers different times seriously. Yeah. And, and but, yeah. But, yeah. but the thing is, is how do you decide, you know, mm-hmm. what what you want to write about and what was it about Bell Gunness that made you say choose her? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean there are several considerations. Um one is, you know, I'm very interested in cases that at the time you know were so sensational that they attracted or generated you know, this national and sometimes even international, you know, media coverage. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, that often had been forgotten. I mean, you, you know, outside of Indiana, you know, most people haven't heard of Belgunas, but literally her case was in newspapers, you know, all around the world. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm very interested in, you know, reviving those cases. And also, you know, there there has to be enough material for me to write a book about. You know, there's a case, for example, that I'm interested in. Uh, well, there's several cases I'm interested in, um, but I, when I've been exploring them, I've discovered, for example, that there are no trial transcripts in existence. So, you know, I, I feel I, I couldn't really do justice to the story, you know, with that kind of, uh-huh. you know, with that kind of. With a, but the other thing is that, you know, it's it's not just the gruesomeness of the crime or the grisliness of the crime you know, the number of victims, you know, that are killed and tortured or whatever, you know, there has to be a story there. You know, there has to be interesting, there have to be interesting characters. You know, there has to be something interesting about the, you know, the killer and there has to be interesting subsidiary characters. You know, you know, basically what I'm doing when I'm writing these books, you know, is assembling hundreds, thousands, really, pages, you know, of very dry documents, uh, psychiatric reports, and again, court transcripts and newspaper stories and so on and so forth, you know, and transforming them into a readable narrative, 
so in order to do that, I have to feel again that there's you know that there are these narrative elements, you know these elements that make any kind of story uh, interesting to a reader. Uh, so anyway, so those you know those are those are the considerations that that enter into my choices. Nice, nice. Right. Well, we we are um, about out of time, but uh, we'd love to have you back. I I can't recommend these books enough. I, the first book of yours that I yeah. uh, happened upon was called Fatal, and that we could do a mm-hmm. whole show on that just by itself. But uh, before yeah. we uh, before we let you go, could you tell our listeners where they can find out uh, more about you and where they can get your books and all that good stuff? Uh, well, you know Amazon. Uh, obviously, and in terms of the uh, ones I mentioned earlier, those Kindle singles, you know, they're only available on Amazon. Um, you know, I myself basically now buy everything on Amazon. You know, if I need dental floor, right. I need it on Amazon. Um, yeah. Uh, so, you know, but, you know, bookstores, yeah. you know, bookstores, brick and mortar bookstores carry my books. Um, and, yeah, you know, the obvious I have, uh, there is. Um, I do have a website. I, I've never actually gone on it, but it exists, haroldschechter.com. Uh, and, yeah, you know, the usual places, you know, Google. You can go on Google, see photographs of me and stuff like that. So. All right. All right. Uh, it's a pleasure having you always, and I'm serious about that. I'd love to have you back and mm-hmm. just focus on some of these. Yeah. There's so much to talk about, and there's 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 uh, cases I've never even yeah. heard of, and I'm like, how have I not heard of this? But yeah. but yeah, so so I hope you're open to that because we'd love to have you back. Absolutely, thank you very much for asking me. All right, you okay. are yeah. welcome, and uh, yep. thank you for being on, and thank you everybody for listening. And until next week, we wish you haunted nights and sweet screams. Thank you for listening. Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. Imagine what we could do. Gotta go. We'll tell you the rest later. Visit ourkidsfirst.com. That's ourkids1st.com to learn more. Paid for by Our Schools Now. 
Okay, we're in. Talk fast. Hey, Mom, Dad, Grandpa, anyone. We've only got a few seconds here. But we really need your help. Yeah, half of us kids in Utah are falling behind in math, English, and science. Our teachers are awesome. But they need your help. Please vote for question one on the ballot. It'll only cost each driver about $4 a month, but we'll give 100 million bucks straight to our classrooms. Imagine what we could do. Gotta go. We'll tell you the rest later. Visit ourkidsfirst.com. That's ourkids1st.com to learn more. Paid for by our schools now.